Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Heather, for that, that call to lay our lives down. That is a kingdom principle. Why would he do it? Why would he lay his life down? Because in his dying, he brought life to many. And unless a, a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, a single seed. But if it dies, you know, we fight laying our lives down. And yet, in the kingdom, when you lay your life down, you get far more back than you can ever imagine. And if you hold on to it, eventually you'll lose it. That's the kingdom principle. Some great stuff. I mean, I feel like I could talk all day. Um, didn't Christina do a fantastic job last week talking to us about being a fighting people? The world tries to label us addicted, but we are a fighting people. And no matter how many times we fall or fail, like the proverb says, the righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. But just one time is enough to overthrow the wicked. So we keep getting up because we know God is fighting for us and he knows that he's going to help us fight that battle. And uh, one thing she said to me after church or service last week was, man, there's just so much. I mean, I feel like she could have talked forever. I'm like, welcome to my world. Because there is so much uh, knowledge, information, revelation that God wants to give us as his people. And so I hope that that doesn't just happen for you on Sunday morning in these 45 minutes that we spend here looking at the word together. I hope that every day you sit in front of your Bible and say, Lord, you've got to speak to me today. You've got to drop something into my spirit to just strengthen me and empower me and help me today. Because he wants to do that. So I encourage you to do it. But we're moving into chapter 9 today. We've been using a book by Arden, Arden Bevere that's all about knowing our identity in Christ. It's about how we've been labeled but yet the label that you will that God puts on us. And so chapter 9 is called Discouraged. We have been labeled a discouraged generation. <laughs> and praise God, on Easter Sunday, we get to talk about being a hopeful people. Discouragement is going to come, but we, because of the death, the burial, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, there is no such thing as hopeless. We are a people of hope. But as we know, Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. So discouragement is bound to come. And Arden defines it for us in the chapter. Here's how he defines discouragement. A sense of unhappiness arising from a loss of confidence in one's own abilities, in the reliability of God, or in the power of the gospel. Look at that again. A sense of unhappiness arising from a loss of confidence in one's own abilities. Now, from everything else, you've got to keep this in context. Your ability in Christ, not just your ability, okay? So he's not saying you've lost confidence in yourself. You've lost confidence in who you are in Christ Jesus, okay? That's the context of this. So when we lose confidence in our own abilities, our own ability in Christ, the reliability of God, or in the power of the gospel. Discouragement can occur in the Christian life, even when there is, especially, excuse me, when there is resistance to the gospel, or in the instances of personal failure. Isn't that interesting that he says that, that quote that way? In the Christian life, resistance to the gospel. Yeah, as Christians, we accept the gospel to begin our journey of faith with the Lord. But many times I think we actually live out resistance to the very gospel we claim to believe. And I think we'll make that clear as we go how we do that. And so discouragement comes when the outcome of our life is different than the expectation. So we've expected one thing, the outcome is dif dis different, and then there comes discouragement. People hurt us, people leave us. It can be a spouse, it can be a parent, it can be a pastor, it can be a friend. 
your business can fall apart, your marriage can fall apart, your ministry can fall apart, you can lose your job, you can lose your finances, you can, the economy can be bad, your health can be falling apart. It can even come to the point where it looks like God has failed you. And those expectations, when they go unfulfilled for a long period of time, we can get into what he refers to as the rut of despair. The rut of despair. Christina talked to us last week about addictions and talked to us about these ruts, these strongholds that happen in our lives. What you've got to understand is the human brain is designed to help you out. And so whenever it recognizes a pattern, it, it just continues to repeat that pattern. There are reasons that you can drive home without thinking about it. And you can get there and be like, wow, I don't even remember turning. Because your brain has done it so many times that it just locks in and goes. And that's a stronghold. Whether that's a positive thing or a negative thing, that's what your brain does. And we have to rewire our brains. We have to break out of those patterns, take those thoughts captive, allow our minds to be renewed, because God did not call us to be a discouraged, pessimistic people. The people of God ought to be the most hopeful people on this planet. Our Messiah not only said what he would do, but then he did it. He said he would die. He died. He said he would come back to life. He came back to life. He said he would go to the sit at the right hand of the Father, and he did. And he said he's coming again. And I bet you what? He's coming again. And so I don't have to hang my head in despair when I fail or when I face hardship or when I face difficulty because he has wired me to be filled with hope. The world defines hope as a wish. Oh, I sure hope that happens. But the Bible doesn't define hope as a wish. It's confident hope. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. The Apostle Paul. Whew, see, there, your voice can crack at any old age. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called his holy people. That's a supernatural thing, and that's what I've been praying this week for you. This is what I've been praying this week for us, I should say. For every person that gathers in a church in Huron, South Dakota today, I pray that their heart would be flooded with light so that they can understand the confident hope that we have as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's been given to us. How, the people that he called, his holy people, remember, that's a positional thing. You're not holy because you behave yourself. You're holy because you've put confidence in Christ Jesus. And he has seated you right now in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And you have a confident hope. You can live from that hope. But if we're going to live from that hope, we have to do four things. One, we have to anchor ourselves in Christ Jesus. Anchor ourselves in Christ Jesus. We have to get our identity from Him. We have to get our strength from Him. We have to get everything from Him. Without Him, I can do nothing. All the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, it's found three times, Psalm 42.5, 42.11, 43.5, same verse. Why, my soul? Are you downcast? Now, you're going to have to re read the whole context of Psalm 42 and 43, excuse me, to figure out why he's, his soul is downcast. Um, but you could probably figure it out. He's a, he's a human being, and he lives on this planet. And so there's about a billion reasons why our soul could be downcast. Why are you so disturbed within me? So he's talking to himself. He's like, okay, I realize all the, I'm looking around. I'm seeing all these things. He even writes them down, all the things that he's seeing, all the things that are happening. Why are you, put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Over the course of two chapters, he has given us reason after reason to be in despair, but over and over again, he reminds us to put our hope in God, to praise him. The, in the book of Isaiah, this isn't on the screen, but it says, for the spirit of heaviness, God has given us a garment of praise. For the spirit of heaviness, he's given us a garment of praise. That, you know, th these, these verses were given before there were worship CDs. 
before there were worship services even. And so all you got to do to overcome despair is start to declare who God is. That's what praise all is. You just declare, He is faithful. He, he called me. He chose me. He is good. He's kind. He's working for my good. He's given me His Spirit. I'm an overcomer in Christ Jesus. You keep telling yourself what is true in the face of what you are facing, what's causing you to be in despair. Put your hope in God. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't know about Jesus yet. So we, in the New Testament, don't just put our hope in God. We put our hope in God, the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is anchored in what he has done for us. The last thing Jesus said when he was on the cross is, it is we call it, it is finished. Literally, it is accomplished. And I don't know if you understand what he accomplished in that moment, but I'm going to take just a brief second to make sure you understand and explain it maybe the best I could. Because what happened is God created the earth and he called it good. And it, on that earth, he put mankind. He created us in his image, male and female. He created them in his image and he gave them a job. He gave them a calling to exercise dominion over the earth. In other words, to rule and reign on the earth as his image bearers. We were commissioned to represent heaven on earth. Heaven is not the place up there where maybe we're going to go when we die. When you read in the scripture about heaven, when you read in the scripture about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is wherever God is, wherever his rule and reign are established. So I'm not saying there's not a literal place out there somewhere where there's heaven, but every time you read heaven in the Bible, don't let your mind go to that place. Because right now, today, heaven is inside of everyone who's put faith in Jesus Christ. That's where heaven is. And I don't have to wait till I die to experience heaven. I can experience heaven today. There may be a fuller version when I pass from this life, but I am going to take everything I can take and experience everything I can experience on this side of that experience. So we were commissioned to represent heaven on earth, but as his representatives, Eve decided, even though God said don't eat the fruit, Eve looked at it, saw it was good for food, saw it was good for wisdom. So she decided to seek wisdom apart from God, and she ate the fruit. And that rebellion, that sin, that's what sin is. It's rebellion against God. It's doing it our way. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. There is not a human being alive with breath in their lungs that has not gone our own way and not gone God's way. We have all broken his laws that brought a curse upon the earth it brought a curse upon mankind it brought sin it brought destruction it brought death and we can no longer represent heaven on earth thank goodness that's not the end of the story the bible says jesus before the foundation of the earth was crucified so God all along had a plan in mind. Jesus didn't decide to be crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, des he decided to be crucified before God said, let there be light. That was when he made his decision. And the Bible says he emptied himself. He, became, he laid aside his rights, his privileges as God. He came to the earth to not only demonstrate what it is like to live from heaven for us, but to give his life for us, which, by the way, is also a demonstration of how to live from heaven, to give your life for others, which is a command of the scripture. And so those of us now who, who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we admit we've sinned, gone my own way. I believe Christ died in my place, and I commit myself to come into the kingdom. It's not, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died, I believe he's going to forgive my sins, and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's a part of the gospel, but the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel says, no, you are commissioned again to pick up your calling as sons and daughters of God, to be representatives. You don't live for yourself anymore. You don't live for you. You live for him to display his glory on this earth, to be his representative. He came to make all things new. Now, 
That's the gospel. Salvation is not just about securing a place in heaven after we die. The problem is the church has by and large bought into this idea. And so we are just excited to escape here. Oh, I can't wait till Jesus comes. I can't wait to get off of this hell of a planet. I just can't. And you don't understand that what you want to get off of, he laid aside every right and privilege to come to so he could redeem it. And now you just want to leave it. You've been commissioned not to be here to escape, but to be sons and daughters of God, exercising dominion on the earth, releasing the kingdom everywhere we go. That's our calling. That's what it means to be filled with hope. In Colossians chapter, sorry if I'm a little excited, something about Easter and hope that gets me excited. I'll try to calm down. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says he has rescued us guys listen to this this is present tense he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son not one day when you die you're there fight fight to release the kingdom on the earth in ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 6, He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Right now, you are seated not in the fine arts center, but spiritually speaking, you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God is in you. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we've been recommissioned to do it, to release the kingdom of heaven. We have got to be anchored in that understanding, that identity, that calling. We have got to be anchored in it. Because there are going to be days where the winds and the waves are going to try to pull that anchor up. We have got to stay anchored in it. The second thing we need to do is trust the process. Oh, none of us like to trust the process. But God is always at work for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Without fail, in my life as a pastor, when people have experienced tragedy or hardship, they often come back to this verse from Romans chapter 8. It's not on the screen, but I just alluded to it. How can God be working for good in the midst of this? And we just, we're looking for answers and we're look, we have all these questions. But the rest, you've got to read Romans chapter 8 in context. We're not going to do that today because there's too many other passages to read and you've got to pick and choose. But in Romans chapter 8, it tells us that when we have what we hope for, we no longer have to patiently wait for it. But when we don't have what we hope for, we have to patiently wait. But God goes right into, or Paul, goes right into, but we have the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. Praise God. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to see where the good in it is. is, And I don't even want my brain to try. I just need to trust the process. I just need to stay anchored in Him. He is good. He is fair. He is just. He is faithful. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And in the most tragic moment of my life, I want to trust the process. Not easy. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This generation has to embrace the idea of process. Allowing something to develop over time is not something that's popular today. We live in a day and an age where we want everything instantly. If I want to talk to someone, I pick up the phone and I can call them. That hasn't always been the case for those of you that are like my age or younger. Okay, you couldn't just pick up the phone and call people, or at least not easily without being attached to the wall. You couldn't FaceTime someone, especially someone on the other side of the planet. I mean, when you said goodbye to your loved ones when they were going to be missionaries overseas, you said goodbye. Many of them had to pack their belongings in a coffin because they didn't expect to return. 
It's, there was a lot. And so we are privileged to live in this society where we get things quickly. We get our coffee and our beverages instantly. We do not have to wait for stuff. We get food delivered to us from our app. We can pull up an app and we can drive up and there the food is ready. Or you can have it delivered to from your, you never even have to leave your couch. And that food can be there in 30 minutes or less. That is an instant society. And we translate that into the kingdom. And we want the kingdom of God. We want maturity. We want growth in the kingdom. We want miracle. We want all of this at the snap of our fingers. And when it doesn't happen, we question whether it was true or not. Because we don't know how to trust the process. Arden reminds us in the chapter... God is always trying to do something in us in order to do something through us. The barren seasons of life can develop our character in a powerful way. And the character will protect us and carry us toward our dreams. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, Okay, so we've put our confidence in Christ, we've admitted our sin, we've come into the kingdom, so we've been declared right with God by faith in Christ. We also have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Amen, I wish that verse stopped right there. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Let me explain it to you. Hardships, suffering, produces perseverance. That's when I do the right thing over and over and over and over again in every circumstance. So that's when I stay anchored in Christ, even when I want to pull up anchor and abandon ship. That's when I want to lash out at that person that lashed out at me, and I, I just say, no, I'm going to exercise the self-control of the Spirit, and I am going to give the soft answer that turns away wrath. When I start doing that, when I start living in that, Time after time after time, I, what I'm digging, what I'm doing is I'm digging a new rut. See, we think taking our thoughts captive is all about just praying this prayer and the Holy Spirit just, oh, he just, he could do it. He's the Holy Spirit and there's nothing impossible. But what if he gives you a shovel? And what that perseverance produces character. Do you know what character is? It's the new response. Character isn't just when I choose the right thing over the wrong thing, that's character. No, character is in my life is fully formed when it becomes my new response. When I've dug a new rut and it's just natural the kingdom comes out of me. That's why I need hardship because it produces perseverance and it produces character. And look what character produces, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We develop that renewed mind. We ground ourselves in the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. We as believers are growing in the knowledge of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't settle for His good will. Don't settle for His pleasing will. Strive to be in His perfect will. And you do that by renewing your mind. Again, that's not a prayer because Romans chapter 12 verse 2 goes on about loving others. It goes on about honoring others. It goes on about being zealous in prayer. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. For some of us, it might be start praying. Never stop praying. Never retaliate. Overcome evil with good. 
bless those who curse you. All of that is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You want to build new ruts, then you've got to get in the Word, and you've got to start applying the kingdom principles of the Word to your life. Jesus laid down His life as an example for us. Peter even says, if you want to be like Jesus, you want to follow in His steps. We started a whole movement from 1 Peter chapter 2. What would Jesus do? We all wore the bracelets. What would Jesus do? But Peter says, Jesus laid down His life. Do it. We can't even lay down our, our conveniences for each other sometimes. And Jesus is calling us to lay down our lives for one another. Is it any wonder that hope doesn't just overflow out of us? See, I wish I could just tell you today, I'm going to call you down front, I'm going to lay hands on you, you're going to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. But some of us, we're counteracting our very prayers by the way we live, by the way we think, and by the way we talk. We're praying, oh God, cause my heart to overflow with hope. But we think negative things all day about ourselves, about other people, about our country, about everything. We post it on social media, everything that's wrong, everything that's bad. Jesus did not call you to be a thermometer. He called you to be a thermostat. Thermometers tell the temperature of the room. Thermostats set the temperature in the room. We've been called to overflow with hope by the power of His Spirit. And I need to dig a hope trench. Because my natural tendency is pessimism, despair, discouragement. Woe is me. Oh, I got that pain again. I must be dying. Right? Isn't that what we do? Come on, we got to build a new trench. So, whew, I don't know what point number two was. What was that called? <laughs> trust the process. See, it's so bad we don't even know. Not only do we need to trust the process, here's number three. You have, we have got to manage our disappointment and our discouragement. We have got to manage our disappointment and our discouragement. Oh, Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King said it this way. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Oh, I wish I could promise you today that you're going to walk through life and never face another discouraging day, week, month, year. It's just not possible. Discouragement is going to come. But we have to maintain hope in the midst of it. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. If we are not honest with our disappointments and our discouragements, we're going to be tempted to settle for less. Our hearts are going to be sick. Now, that could mean that we look for temporary relief in things like drugs or alcohol or sex or relationships or money or achievements. And, what, you know, we try to find a temporary fix to, to, to soothe that pain. But it can also be just going through the motions of religion, just waiting for Jesus to come back. Instead of stepping into the calling, I can't, I can't do it again because I've been disappointed. I prayed for that healing and it just didn't come. They died anyway. I prayed for that marriage and it didn't restore. It failed. I just can't, I can't get my hopes up again. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when we get in that place, we have got to be honest with God. You've got to come into a place where you just cry out to Him and you just tell Him, your heart hurts. My heart is sick. I do not understand, and the pain is there, and it is real. I don't have to live with a plastic smile on my face and just deny it. I cry out to God in the midst of my pain. I'm honest with it, and I say, God, but I don't want to live there. I want hope to rise in my heart again. And it doesn't come if we're not in that place of honesty. In the chapter, Arden talks about the story of Hannah from the Old Testament, and Hannah wants to have a child. In that day and age, to be a barren woman was the greatest shame you could ever have. Okay, it's, it's so hard for us in our culture to understand this, but if you've ever tried to have a child and couldn't, you, you're close. But in this culture, this is the greatest shame. It's like you're worthless if you couldn't have a child. Okay? So she wants to have a child and she gets in this rivalry with her husband's other wife and she's just doing everything she can and she's in despair, she's on hunger strikes, she's just trying to have a child and finally one day when they're in Jerusalem she goes into the temple and she is in such desperation as she's crying out to God that her lips are moving and there just aren't words. And the priest, <laughs> when you're down people kick you, praise God. The priest comes in and says, get out of here, you drunk woman. Basically, that's my version. He says, put away your wine. He thinks she's drunk. Oh, no, sir. 
I'm just crying out to the Lord. And so the wicked priest, this is such a crazy cool story, I don't have time for it, but the wicked priest says, oh, cheer up, may God grant your desire. And not only did God grant her desire by giving her a son that was named Samuel that changed an entire nation, but also anointed King David, who also was the the father of uh, the Messiah known as Jesus Christ. So Samuel, her prayer changed the world, okay, because she was desperate enough to cry out, lose face, and she could have retaliated to the priest. You wicked priest, you're not, you call yourself a priest, you're not even a priest, you're living wickedly, your sons are living wickedly. And not what she did. And because of that, she birthed a son to change the world. Not only that, God gave her three more sons and two daughters. God has greater dreams in store for you than you have for you. But if you do not let perseverance develop character and bring hope, you won't get to experience them. We've got to trust that process. We've got to believe that God is at work even in the midst of our disappointments. Mm, we manage that disappointment. And number four, here, here's my favorite one. We just keep hoping. We just keep hoping. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Not against most hope. I mean, we use the word miracle a lot. Like when our kids finally do something we've been asking them to do about a billion times, and they finally remember to do it, and we're like, it's a miracle. That's not a miracle. I mean, that's, it's hard to imagine that happening, but it's not a miracle. A miracle is when there's something that cannot happen, and all of a sudden it happens. That's a miracle. And I serve the God of miracles. And against all hope, we keep hoping. Because that's who we serve. I don't have the answer for why the circumstances of our lives go the way they go. But I will not let what I see determine what I believe. I will let heaven's perspective shape my theology. Romans chapter 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, there's a story that's found in, I'm going to close with this story, in Matthew 17. Don't get too excited, it's a long story. Matthew (laughs) Matthew chapter 17 and Mark chapter 9. There's a story of Jesus. He goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, we call it. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. Basically, his appearance changes on the mountain, and God speaks. And Peter, James, and John coming down the mountain with Jesus. He says, don't tell anybody about this until after I've died. They come down the mountain, and a crowd is gathered. It's always interesting when God's on a mountain, there's a crowd at the bottom. And the crowd is arguing. The disciples are arguing with the teachers of the law. And what has happened is a man has a son who has seizures, and the seizures cause Uh, his son to be thrown into fire and thrown into water and he's almost been killed many times and they they believe that he's demon possessed and that that the disciples so he that's what his dad believes because of the foaming at the mouth all this stuff so they bring him to the disciples the, the disciples okay these people who jesus has been with them for just about three years now and they have gone out and they have cast out demons they have healed the sick they have prayed for people they have done all of these miracles so the He brings his son to these disciples, but they cannot do anything about it. So then an argument assumes, because, you know, we've got to figure out what's going on here, right? I mean, why isn't the boy healed? So Jesus walks right into the middle of this, and the father pleads with Jesus to help. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 17, 17. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Please do not be offended at anything I say in the next moment. But there's an expectation here in this verse where Jesus is believing that that this group of people should have been able to do something about this. (laughs) 
when we read those phrases, unbelieving and perverse generation, we're like, oh, that's harsh. You can believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be on your way to heaven and still be an unbelieving and perverse generation. Because we're falling short of what he's called us to live into. We've settled into something more comfortable, something we're okay with. Because whenever we hit a disappointment like the disciples, we're tempted to reason and argue and figure out why our experience doesn't match what should be happening. So then in Mark chapter 9, the, the man comes to Jesus and says, if you can help us. And here's Jesus' reply to this guy. If, if you can help, if everything is possible for one who believes. So immediately the boy's father says, I don't know who you think you are. I do believe. I'm a good Jew. Oh, wait, no, that's not what he said. He said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. See, for us in this room today, if I said, man, there's unbelief in our lives, we're, we get offended. No, don't, I don't have unbelief in my life. Well, I got news for you. You believe what you want. I believe I have unbelief in my life. I believe I've become a perverse an unbelieving in a perverse generation, and I want the humility of this man that says, God, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to walk in everything you've called me to walk in. So, of course, the disciples, Jesus cast out the demon, boys totally healed. And the disciples then, when they're alone with Jesus, are like, uh, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? So Jesus tells them, Matthew 17, 20. The disciples come to Jesus in private. Why couldn't we drive it out? He replies, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. See, I think this story holds a lot of insight for us about how to face the disappointments of our lives and how to handle them. And yet, even to this day, there is so much argument that surrounds these two stories. Just like there was argument at the base of the mountain. When Jesus says, you have little faith, it's always intrigued me. Because if they had little faith, and then he says, all you need is faith as small as a mustard seed. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. I have. And it's very, very tiny. And so is Jesus saying, your faith is even tinier than a mustard seed, really? I mean, these disciples who have been with him for three years, who have already performed miracles, who have already given up houses, and every, who have already done all these things, their faith is actually smaller than a mustard seed? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. The problem lies in the word little faith. That word little faith is used one time in the entire Bible. Right here. It's a compound word. Two words, two root words forming a new Greek word. Part of the word is faith. Got it? Part of the word is that word little. But the word little doesn't just mean little. It means few, little, small, brief. Could it be that the problem wasn't the size of their faith? The problem was the brevity of their faith. They needed to keep their faith in the fight a little bit longer. See, when Jesus said, many are going to hear the word, he talked about the parable of the sower, the seeds and the sower, the soils. Some of them are going to receive it with joy, but it's not going to produce fruit. What's it going to be choked out by? Hardship and difficulty. Hardship and difficulty arise because of the word, and so no fruit is produced. Why? Because we're afraid to keep our faith in the fight long enough. Unanswered prayers and unmet expectations should not develop our theology. In our world today, people say, well, miracles were just for the early church. I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches us. I don't believe, well, in, in this instance, the disciples were the early church. So why couldn't it work for them? Some people today will develop a theology that says, well, God doesn't heal every time. If we look at this situation, we could say, well, 
disciples, God doesn't heal every time, except there's not one person that walked up to Jesus and walked away sick. Ever. And you and I, because of unmet expectations, because of some disappointments, because of some discouragements, we've gathered in with the disciples at the base of the mountain. And we're reasoning and we're arguing and we're trying to figure it out and we're just afraid to get our hopes up. And I feel like God is saying, you unbelieving and perverse generation, come on, come on. Keep your faith in the fight just a little while longer. In Mark's version of this story, Mark chapter 9, verse 29, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. That's actually included in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21, but we can't agree whether that's in all the manuscripts, so we don't put it in the Matthew version because we just aren't sure. Well, you know what? I'd just rather take a benefit of the doubt. I believe the Bible calls us to pray and fast. I believe the Bible calls us to believe in God. I believe over and over again the Bible says you'll do even greater things than the things that I did. I believe God wants us to bring our faith to a whole new level and to keep believing against all hope. And if that were easy to do, everyone would be doing it. But I believe Restoration Church can be different. We can, against all hope, continue to hope. We can believe that we've been commissioned to live from heaven to earth. Because it doesn't take much faith to move a mountain. It just takes persistent faith. Jesus told us two stories, and we won't have time to read them today. But in Luke chapter 17, he told the story about a woman that just continued to go to a judge and cry out for justice. And Jesus says, in that story, the unjust judge finally gave her what she needed. Won't your heavenly Father do the same thing if you cry out to him day and night? But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In Luke chapter 11, when Jesus is teaching them on prayer, he talks about a guy that just continues to knock. And he says, I tell you the truth, the guy in the house will not get up for because of friendship's sake. But if you keep knocking, he will get up and give you what you need because of your shameless persistence. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, this isn't about you just getting whatever you want, because guess what? I laid down my life and I'm dead. So it's not about just going out today and just saying, okay, I'm going to believe God's going to give me everything I want. No good parent gives their child everything they want. But when you get in touch with the Father and you know the Father's heart and you're reading the Word and the Word is getting in you, you ask for anything according to His will and it will be done to you. And you don't have to tag, Lord, if it be your will on the end of it. Start studying. Get to know His will. Get in the closet and say, Holy Spirit, I need to know your will. I need to know your heart. I don't want to pray just these prayers that are just out there. Hopefully, maybe you'll hear it and answer it. I want to know what you want me to pray for, and I want to target it. And I want to be commissioned to be your son and daughter releasing heaven on the earth. I want to read one more quote from Arden from his book. This is what he says. We will have plenty of opportunities to be discouraged. Hardships will come up against our dreams. We will face failure, and it will be painful. People will let us down. It will test us to the core. But we must stand firm in our faith, even in our darkest hour. We cannot let discouragement get us down. Instead, it should drive us toward God and the hope of our calling in Him. If you and I are going to welcome God's best for our future and the future of others, our hope has to lie in Christ. Jesus is our hope for everything. He will never let us down. Although discouragement may come our way, as long as our hope is in Him, it will not remain. No matter how long our dreams are delayed or how short our expectations seem to fall, we will always have hope. Our generation can be hopeful because of God's calling, not because of our strength. While the world around us accepts discouragement as a way of life, we can flip the narrative. We can be overcomers and world changers. Instead of letting discouragement knock us on our face in defeat, let it push us to our knees in prayer where we can fight even harder. Let's be a generation that dares to hope even in our darkest hours. Would you take a moment and just bow your heads? Close your eyes. I want you to think for a moment. I want you to just 
allow the Holy Spirit to take everything that I've shared today. And I want Him to just work in your heart in an individual way. I've shared a lot. Some of it may not apply to you. Some of it may not even be correct. My prayer every day is, Lord, everything that's me, let it go to the side. Everything that's you, let it penetrate the heart. But I want you to answer a question today. When people encounter you, do they walk away with hope? When people encounter your social media, do they walk away with hope? Are you living right now from a place of hope? Or are you more thermometer than thermostat? Would you let the Holy Spirit in this moment just breathe hope? on your heart. Some of you maybe need to let go of anger, resentment, bitterness, cynicism, despair, disappointment. Some of you might be here today and you're just ticked at God because He didn't come through in that moment when you needed Him most. Allow the Holy Spirit to walk into every one of those areas right now. If you're in this room and you have never put faith in Jesus Christ, you need to start right there. You need to admit before God today that you've sinned. You've done your own thing. You've gone your own way. But you want to put confidence you want to believe that Christ died on your behalf. And you want Him to bring you into the kingdom of the Son. You want to be transferred from darkness into light today. And you realize that you're passing the same way Jesus did through death. Death to self. Death to desires. Death to everything that was me to be resurrected into the new life that He's created for me from the beginning. You need to be anchored in that. If you've done that, but your heart today is heavy, maybe it's heavy because of disappointment, maybe it's heavy because the, the road you're on is just discouraged, you don't see light at the end of the tunnel, there's a failed relationship that you can't get off your mind. Just let him breathe fresh hope. Don't settle. Don't settle for temporary fixes. Jesus said in Matthew 17, nothing would be impossible for those who believe. Those who will keep their faith in the fight. Those who will persist. No sickness, no disease, no setback, no failure, no mountain, no relationship, no person. So if you're here today and you're putting faith in Christ for the first time, would you take a moment and just slip up your hand to let me know that? I want to know that that's you, that you're putting faith in Christ. There's no one looking around. I just want to know for my own benefit. I want to know that you're today saying, I want to put faith in Christ. You want to acknowledge it before, before me is basically all you're acknowledging it before me and before God. Today is the day I'm going to put my faith in Christ for the first time. For the first time, that's me. Just slip up your hand, put it right back down. Say, that's me. First time I want to put my faith in Christ. Is there anyone in the room? All right. For the rest of you then, I'm going to ask as I close in prayer today, I want you to put your arms out in front of you. 
in just that receiving posture, if there are things that you need to lay out before the Lord today, things that are taking away your hope, things you've settled for, just put them out before Him. I'm going to ask Him to take those things and to breathe fresh hope into our hearts today. So Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to apply. God, we need you to apply the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus to our lives. God, not just for the first time today, but every day. We want to walk in the power of your resurrection. God, we want to stay anchored in the finished work of Christ. We want to trust the process. God, we want to manage the disappointments, the discouragements that comes our way. And God, we want to keep hoping. God, we want to keep hoping against all hope. God, for the salvation of our loved ones, for the salvation of our friends, for the salvation of our enemies, there is no one that is beyond hope today. God, we want to trust, we want to believe you today for healing. God, for things that we have gotten accustomed to, we want to believe you for healing. God, we want to believe you for breakthrough, for deliverance from that addiction, from that besetting sin. God, from that personality trait. <coughs> God, I don't, want to, I don't want to be argumentative anymore. I want to lay that down. I want to be a man of hope. God, I want to see with eyes of hope. I don't want to see what's wrong. I want to see... God, what you're doing. I want to speak life over every person I meet. I want people to walk away with, with hope. I want to speak truth in love. Holy Spirit, fill us with hope today. Fill us with hope today. That our city can change that our world can change, that our nation can change. God, you are the God of the impossible. And so fill our hearts with hope today. And Holy Spirit, I pray, give us, help us to take the shovel that you're putting in our hands today and to begin to build, dig new trenches. God, we're going to dig new trenches. We're going to overcome the strongholds of pessimism and despair and discouragement and death. And God, we're going we're gonna to dig new trenches so that the hope that you put in our hearts is able to overflow into the lives of people around us. God, let it be done according to your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Tom, for such an amazing message of hope. Uh, it's so freeing to know that we don't have to have any of the answers, that we just have to hold on to hope in Christ Jesus. And when we feel like we've lost that hope, Father, I believe helps me in my unbelief. Freedom. Wow. He really does it all. Such an amazing God we serve. Uh, again, we just